Welcome to the latest edition of Hawk Talk. I'm Lindsay Moore. I'm here once again with Nick Thompson. Welcome, Nick. Lindsay, good to see you again, sir. Good to be here. What have we got in terms of uh, news around our own club, the Wakely Park Hawk? Yeah, look, obviously it's a pretty quiet time of the year, but um, uh, given the season that we've that we haven't had, but we have got things going in the background to get coaching positions organised for next year. The good news is most of that's going to be pretty straightforward and a large chunk of our coaches who were unfortunate enough after all the hard work at the start of the season uh, were unfortunate enough not to be able to coach this year and and a good chunk of those are going to go around again. Club has taken the decision, haven't they, to enable those who want to coach again in 2021, who were appointed for 2020, to to take up that opportunity if they, if they want to. Exactly. The feeling was that, uh, you know, they made the big commitment to, to take on the club. We, uh, we take on a team. We, lo- we absolutely appreciate the coaches doing that. We know it's a big commitment. So, yeah, for them to have gone through a lot of the hard yards, put their hand up and gone through all that to try and get there and then to not get the chance to actually coach, um, we just decided that it was right and proper that they should have that opportunity to go around again. Uh, and then obviously there's some roles that are that are vacant where we might have had, uh, so for example, in the girls' teams where we've got a couple where they, you know, the coach might be, his daughter, his child might be going up at age group. So we need to find one for that. So, um, yeah, so there's a, a few holes to fill, but, but, but it'll be pretty straightforward. And we'll do... We'll announce all of those via all the platforms as they come to hand. And we'll also, um, you and me, Lindsay, will try and get a, a number of them on uh, over the summer to share some of their thoughts and uh, ideas on coaching and why they've taken on the role and, and what they look forward to for next season. So, so that'll be great. And then the other one, uh, which is very exciting, and it'll be very new for us. We've done in the past our sports lunch, uh, which obviously we've been able to do in person. Uh, and they're always a great day uh, where we get some uh, AFL talent or media talent along to to speak and have a lunch. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna do one of something like that online. It'll be very family friendly. It'll be much more of a family day type thing, I suppose. We'll try and get a few. Well, we will get some some good names in to to do to be guests and a bit of a Q and A with some of our players. And we'll have some raffles and. Uh, auctions, etc., uh, and it'll be a great little experience and engagement for the club with the members, and and hopefully a little bit of fundraising to pick up uh, some of the slack that we missed out on this year as well. As well, would be great. Do you know roughly when it's going to take place? Yeah, look, we haven't got a fixed date as yet, but we'll be middle of November around there. So we we need to wait a few weeks until after the footy season, the AFL footy season finishes, so that we can uh, get access to the people that we want to be involved. Um, so we'll definitely know pretty soon a fixed date and we'll, we'll send that out with all the extra details that go along with it. That all sounds great, Nick. Um, is there any other news from the club? No, that's it for uh, local updates. So I reckon it's time to get straight into our special guest for the week who was, it was an absolute cracker. Uh, this interview, I thought I learned a lot. So I think everyone will really enjoy this. Our guest today should 
need little by way of introduction. He's a sports commentator and broadcaster with 3OW, covering AFL football and cricket. He's a passionate St Kilda supporter. He's also a member of the Waverley Park Hawks community with a son who would have played under 15s this season. Our guest today is Bruce Eva. Welcome to Hawk Talk, Bruce. G'day, Lindsay. G'day, Nick. Um, yeah, good, good to be here. Now, the first, the first question is, um, do we call you Bruce or do we call you Beaver? Uh, that's a good question, Lindsay, to start with. <laughs> um, usually I only get called Bruce if I'm in trouble. Uh, Mum still calls me Bruce. Uh, now you feel, feel free to call me Beaver. Uh, most do, certainly uh, from a professional standpoint. Um, it's still interesting when I get, occasionally someone will say, what, why do you get called Beaver? And I sort of have to point out the obvious answer of the initial of my first name and my surname put together. But anyway. Um, yeah, well, it is pretty obvious where the nickname comes from. But when did you first start getting called Beaver? Like, was it as a child? It was. Well, I can actually remember the um, remember the, the day it was in. Oh, actually, when I say I can remember the day, it was at school and uh, at Halebury in year seven or eight. And the uh, my English teacher, who also happened to be our football coach, uh, Dave Stewart, and his habit used to be of, uh, for the footy team to play on the Saturday morning, we'd have a lunchtime, a Friday lunchtime meeting and he'd have the team up on the blackboard uh, and it'd just be the first initial and, and, your, and your surname. And uh, someone had rubbed out or he'd forgot to put the dot between the, the B and the, and the E. And it was Dave Stewart who first called me Beaver when he ran through the, ran through the team on a Friday morning. But it didn't actually really kick off that much at, uh, at school. Uh, it, was, it was more so when I started at the Herald and... Um, Jeff Polder, who was a massive influence on my career, former chief footy writer on the on the Herald, he's uh, him and another guy called Nick Place were another terrific sports journo from back in the day. They were sort of the first two that really started to um, yeah get it uh, get it rolling. And you've mentioned uh, playing footy there. Um, how did it start out for Beaver? Was the dream VFL slash AFL glory or? Uh, did you have another dream in mind? No, well, I was, all, Nick, I was always obsessed with sport and I worked out pretty early that I wasn't going to be able to play at the uh, play at the highest level. Not too many uh, petrified half-forward flankers um, make, it through, <laughs> make it through the ranks. <clears throat> Most people said, um, oh, look, I, you know, I, had, I had reasonable skills, but, yeah, I certainly wouldn't go win my own footy. Um so uh, probably, yeah, or a better cricketer than a, than a footballer, but, yeah, worked out very, very early. That wasn't going to reach any any great heights. I still love being involved. Uh, I played cricket right up until, you know, only a, a couple of years ago. And um, so it sort of became a, a question of how could I be involved in, in, in sport. And, uh, yeah, the uh, where we lived in Sandown Park, just near the – near the race course or class to Springvale, but right opposite St. Empire Primary School. One of our next door neighbours was uh, Craig Borrow, the well-known photographer on the Sun newspaper. So I sort of thought for a while, about around, uh, you know, years nine or 10, that maybe I could maybe be a photographer. Uh, but then when I saw some of my early efforts, <laughs> that uh, could barely keep my hands steady. I wasn't even drinking back then. Yeah, so so look, I just started um, 
Uh, I, I mean, I guess I know I'm sort of jumping around a bit here, but the big moment for me, I did start honing in on on the media because I liked writing, I liked storytelling. I was always told I had the gift of the gab. <laughs> so, um, but year 11 at school and, and a Halebury old boy, and now the late Stephen Phillips, who was a you know iconic broadcaster and host of World of Sport for for many years, he came. They had a series of talks out at. Um, at the Keysborough campus, I think it was like the middle of the year with potential uh, career, you know, which way you were going to head in your career. And um, Stephen Phillips came out and gave a gave a, a talk one day on just a classic day at World of Sport. And uh, and I just walked away from it thinking, I've, I've got to be involved in this industry. It sounded, sounded so much fun. And, um, you know, to be able to talk or write about sport for a living seemed a, um, seemed a pretty good way to make a crust. So where did you get your opportunity? Yeah, it was fortunate enough. Uh, straight out of school, I got a cadetship on on the Herald. Uh, back when uh, the Herald and the Sun were two separate papers, but part of the Herald Weekly Times, which was about a, it was a year before Rupert Murdoch actually took over uh, the company. And it was uh, I actually thought I did better in my first interview going for a cadetship at the age, but you now I, I got all the way through um, with uh, with the Herald and. The, my year of intake, there was six on the Herald and, and ten on the on the Sun. Um, they didn't at the time rate the uh, the journalism or media courses there were at tertiary education. So you got trained. You had the Wednesday of every week during your cadetship was like that was training in terms of learning shorthand and various lectures and the stuff like that. But you're basically when you say on the job straight straight away. I mean, my first year is what they called a copy boy. You were basically almost a glorified messenger but uh my my first day on the hill so i was still i didn't, didn't turn 18 until the march i finished the my hsc in the you know november of 85 and started in january 86 and um my first day on the herald was the day the first space shuttle blew up so it was a massive news day and it had happened uh, in what they said was perfect Herald time. It happened at about 4am in the morning, so it was too late for the sun. Uh, so to sort of sit there as a wide-eyed, wet behind the ears, you know, green as Kermit um, kid and just watch this newsroom in, in full flight that morning was something that well, it's still, you know, those memories have stuck with me for, uh, for a lifetime. Was it highly competitive to get one of those cadetships at that time? Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was, Lindsay. It was... Um, Oh, they'd, there'd be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of applicants. So, um, yeah, I was lucky enough. I got work experience at the old 3DB during my, um, my final year at school, and then which was part of the Herald Weekly Times as, as well. And um, the late Stan Rofe, who was a you know, legend of the airwaves back when, you know, back when our parents were, were, were youngsters, um, he was the program director at 3DB, and apparently my letter asking for work experience um, caught his eye because I didn't, you know, I wasn't caught up in the fame of wanting to be a disc jockey or anything like that. I just wanted to somehow get a bit of a chance in the sports department. And um, yeah, so obviously did well enough in my, you know, I think it was four interviews um, as they gradually whittled down the, the applicants from the interview process. And uh, yeah, lucky enough to, um, to get a start straight out of school, which I'll be, you know, forever grateful for. Is that how they, what's different to how they do things now for kids that might be 
you know, under 16, 17 footballers at the moment uh, and find themselves with similar ability levels as you might have <laughs> did, <laughs> what's, uh, what's the pathway now? Yeah, good question, Nick, because it is so different. As far as I know, they don't take uh, school leavers anymore. The, um, the universities have, have upped their, uh, their standards of, of journalism and professional writing and, and media courses. So um, I give quite a few talks to you know, different schools and that, when you're allowed to, of course, not in 2020. Um, yeah, and it's uh, I've always encouraged people to, um, because I didn't go down the, the tertiary education path because of the system back then, but at the same time, I, I understand that's important and most major media organisations won't, um, you know, don't accept cadets or, or juniors until they've done a, a university degree. But I've often said any opportunity that people get, even if you have to go into the country or or interstate, there's two, two examples I always give, but our partner Leslie, uh, Brady's mum, um, a cousin of hers, she went up, uh, Cara Irving, who's now on the Herald Sun, um, she started her journalism journey up in, I think it was Gladstone. She got a, she got a spot on you know, a country newspaper. And, and the other story I, I used as a guy, he's appeared quite regularly throughout the footy season this year, a guy called Michael Klein, who's um, one of the best sports photographers in the country. And you've seen him sitting boundary side at the Gabba and Metricon for the for the bulk of, of this season. He started two weeks after me uh, on the Herald, but he's just started as a messenger. He wanted to become a photographer, and, but he just took any position that got him in the in the door. And he spent two years basically as a messenger or a dog's body before he got a, a chance in what was then the dark room before digital photography. So just the overarching message from that is any time just any slight opportunity or opening or, you know, door being ajar, try and push it open. Mightn't be in the role that you that you want to have a, um, that you want to get to, but if it firstly gets you in the door in front of the right people, then, um, then take it. So did you want to get into the, the sports media as a, like as a, more as a journalist and a writer, or did you ultimately see yourself becoming a commentator or broadcaster? Yeah, I want, I've always wanted to be a commentator, but like all my background is in is in written media or, or print journalism. And I actually, um, uh, I mean, back at the start, I applied for, you know, positions and cadet positions at the TV networks and the radio stations, and they didn't really offer them, or certainly not to the same level uh, as, uh, as the Herald and Weekly Times and, and The Age. So I understood that... Um, you know, to, to get in the door, I had to, um, it, it didn't really worry me at first which which medium that I got a, got a start in, but I did see myself long-term as I wanted to be in the electronic side of things, predominantly radio, and as as a commentator, I can remember doing mock race calls and the like at, at school in drama classes and that, so it was something that was, um, you know, close, close to my heart. Um, but I'm so glad that I've got that, you know, background of, of of print journalism and had the years at the Herald before, you know, going on to the likes of Inside Footy and the Footy Record and, and places like that. What was the transition? We, um, give us a bit of a rundown of how that happened when we went from print to behind the microphone. Yeah, I did 
Nick, I did many years of of part time radio, but I mean my first full time. Well, actually, my first full time radio gig was in 1992, what's now known as RSN. That's uh, what back then was 3UZ, the, the greater 3UZ Good Sports. But um, as early as 1990, my first on air spot on radio was on when Brian at 3UZ when Brian Taylor, and you know what a big name and voice is in uh, in football media now he was doing the evening show on um uh, basically after the end of the of the last race last dogs or or trots race uh he'd be doing the evening show for about an hour and uh i was talking to him it was about 1990 i can't remember where i was talking to him and um he said well do you want to do it because even though footy and cricket have always been the bread and butter i'm very heavily involved in the boxing industry over many years with you know commentator done a bit of ring announcing you know pr all that sort of stuff so uh he said do you want to do the like a weekly boxing report for about five minutes on a tuesday night so that was my first uh, unpaid start in in radio so um and then i yeah so so that was um that was the, the first on air go i had at it and then I, I left the herald sun in april 1991 um Took a voluntary redundancy. I've been there over five years. It, it, six months into the merger between the Herald and the Sun, a lot of people said to me I was mad for leaving, and you know I probably didn't leave for the for the right reasons. They certainly wanted to keep me, but I, I sort of had a crack at freelancing for about a year, and then um, yeah, the position as Leon Wegard's producer on the Breakfast Show on on Sport Nine Two Seven or Three Z came up. So that was my first full time um, radio gig that didn't last all that long because they made some changes after the Barcelona Olympics in 92 I got moved back onto the early breakfast show where I was on air with a guy called uh, Paul Wally Weissel um, and then I sort of got squeezed a bit there which was understandable I was only 24 and um, you know as I said still very inexperienced in 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 radio terms so I went back into print but then um, the full-time radio journey started with the start of SEN in uh, 2000 and 2004 so um, but in the years before that I've been calling football on NRS which is the National Indigenous Radio Service um, been doing a lot of boxing commentary uh, and then doing lots of part like when I was full-time at the, at the footy record uh, every week they needed for the promotional spots on the various radio stations around the country so I'd do five minutes with Jared Healy and Hooksy on 3RW, you know, do a spot on Triple M with with Sam and JB. Um, and also I'll probably do about eight to 10 a week. So that was good, good experience as well. And that was when I was really starting to think that if a full-time opportunity opened up in radio, then, uh, then I'd jump at it. Man for all seasons. Yeah. Well, um, well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's, it's one thing in, in the media, very few, People just sort of have the one job. They try, you know, you, you try and multitask. I still do writing now. I mean, probably my biggest freelance gig outside of 3RW is I write all the copy on the back of the footy cards. So uh, for the select footy cards, so all the player profiles, you know, 60, 70 words per card. So um, don't do much. Well, I've got a couple of very slow moving books on the, uh, on the go at the moment, but um yeah, I still you try and keep your hand in with uh, with writing as well. Okay, um, so you started off at SEN in producing, didn't you? And then then became an on air 
commentator announcer with uh, Mark Fine, I think. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, once again the SEN story. Well, the first day of SEN was the day David Hooks died. Uh, so it was such a such a sad day. What was meant to be and was an exciting day for the start of sports radio in Melbourne and really full-time sports radio in Australia. Um, but all of us on board knew Hooksy, you know, one way or another. And um, to be greeted with the new... I was... The, uh, myself and KB, uh, Kevin Bartlett, were virtually the last pieces of the puzzle uh, put together. I was still full-time at the um, uh, at the footy record, at, at the AFL sort of senior writer for afl.com.au and, you know, features writer for the for the football record. And there'd been a bit of talk around that a sports station was going to start. And um, a bloke called Rod Law, who went on to be really high up at Fox Footy, he was the first program director. I didn't know Rod at all, but uh, Jeff Slattery, who was um, uh, the, the head of AFL media or AFL publishing, who's still the best boss I've ever had, um, he knew rod uh, a little bit and we got sort of put together and yeah so the position is who was going to be uh, kevin bartlett's producer came up i'd known kb for a long time we had a couple of chats out at his place and um yeah that's sort of you know I, I was sad in one way to leave leave afl publishing but i knew as i'd said earlier that once the chance came up that i that i had to take it so i sort of made it I wasn't in a position to demand anything, but I said I didn't want to be pigeonholed just as a um, just as a producer. So they were they were good enough. I think while I was producing KB's Hungry for Sport, um, had a, did an hour a week with Francis Leach, was then the fill-in host when Mark Doran was away for the evenings, and um, yeah, it sort of progressed from there. It was uh, pretty heady days at the start. It was uh, you know we we're sort of all learning on the on the job, but it was. Um, yeah, it was it was exciting times. And then you moved on to three AW, where you've been for what the last ten or so years. Yeah, twelve, twelve and a half years. Yeah, SEN lasted uh, what it last three and a half years before. Well, I say in radio, you're either it's a bit like coaching. You're either you've either been sacked or about you know waiting to be sacked. So uh, I got shown the door. That that was. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing actually. Still now, as I said, I've been at AW since I started AW about a week after Black Saturday back in two thousand and nine. It was the start of February. There seems to be a link here between you starting new jobs and, and disasters. So can next time you next time you change jobs, can you just give us a, a, a nod, nudge in a wink and let us know that you're starting a new job so we can batten down the hatches? I oh, know it's a uh, it's a it's a good good observation. I was a crazy time because. When I got sacked from um, from SEN, which was August 2007, and um, AW approached me pretty quickly, uh, the former... It's a, I probably was always meant to end up at, at AW because at the time, I mean, when I started on the Herald, Neil Mitchell was the editor, Steve Price was chief of staff, and local Clark Forbes was features editor. Well, um, Price had moved up to Sydney but was still within the still within the stable, but at AW, I mean, Neil, as we know, is the, you know, the star of mornings on AW and Clark Forbes was the program director. So when I finished at, at SEN in, in 07, AW reached out to me and, and they offered me the producing job for uh, sports today, but you'd also would have been the producer for, um, for the football coverage. 
And once again, that thing about pigeonholed as just a producer and going from having your own show on, you know, uh, on air to just back to being a producer. I just didn't want to do it. And in the interim, 6PR is our sister station in Perth. And, uh, and they call a lot of, lot of football. And Brad Hardy is based here in Melbourne, who's a good friend of mine. He reached out before Clark did to say, do you want to, um, I reckon you come and join me and Smokey Dawson um, to call the footy for 6PR in 2008 and we'd be a, we'd be a pretty good team. So I did one, um, uh, did a trial game from late, you know, seven. It was the day Buddy kicked about 2-11 for the Hawks against the Dogs at, at Marvel or whatever it was back then, Colonial or Telstra, Telstra don't. And um, anyway, so six P- I um, came to an agreement with 6PR to call like 60, 65 games of footy in 2008. And uh, and then by the time AW, you know, the, the role hadn't been split. So I basically had to spend all of 2008 just uh, um, freelancing. And then Jared Healy himself came to me uh, late, 2008 and said, look, I've managed to talk them into splitting the two producing roles. So don't worry about the footy. Um, do you just want to come and produce sports today for, for Dwayne and I? So, yeah, and that, that all happened then. Um, and our youngest, uh, Jamie, who's, well, yeah, she's now 11 and a half. So uh, she was born prematurely on January 20, three and a half weeks prem. And Black Saturday happened, uh, a few days after that, and then I started AW on February the second, and you know Jamie was still in hospital, and it was, it was, it, it was madness. So um, yeah, and what is it? Uh, you know, eleven and a half years later, I'm, I'm still there. Wild ride getting there. Yeah, so for, it's been a wild and varied ride. Yeah, um, it's taken you obviously to lots of different. Roles and bits and pieces. So simple one for you, hopefully. Which is your favourite sport to commentate? Yeah, Nick, I get asked that all the time. And look, it really is fifty-fifty with with, with footy and cricket. And uh, I, you know, I I love calling the cricket in the middle of summer. I, I'm not missing the footy at all. And in the middle of winter, calling the footy, I'm not really missing the cricket. It, it's um, I, I really can't split them. It's not sitting on the fence and trying to get a splinter in my backside. It's, um, yeah, I, I really do love both as, as, as much as the other one. Um, and then the, some of the opportunities I've had to call the boxing as well. I've, you know, I've, I've called basketball, I've called athletics, I've called tennis. We did the tennis for a number of years on 3RW and also on AO Radio before uh, the cricket contract came up. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a go at any, any sport, to be honest. Two flies going up a wall. And is it the same as a spectator? Footy and cricket are your two loves. And is there any difference calling spectating as to how you take it in, how you feel about viewing it? Yeah, oh, well, a lot more. I mean, most people who know me know that I'm a, I'm a lunatic St Kilda supporter. And, um, I mean, that's become taken on a life of it. I'll probably MC about at least 80% of St Kilda's functions. Um, yeah, in fact, throughout this crazy season, uh, I've hosted so many Zooms for them. Um, I know this is timeless, this interview, when it's going to run, but like tonight I'm hosting another Zoom 
for them for all the coteries and su- supporter groups. So that'll be with you know, senior coach, CEO, Simon Lethlane, a few of the players. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the love of St Kilda, they made me a life member six or seven years ago, which sometimes following the Saints, it feels like a life sentence. Right? <laughs> so still waiting, being born in 1968, still waiting to see that. I can see Lindsay shaking his... So, yeah, in terms of supporting it, uh, you certainly don't get as passionate supporting the Australian cricket team uh, uh, as you do the the, uh, the mighty Saints. So where did your passion for St Kilda come from? Dad. Mum and Dad, when they were married, they made a, uh, they made a deal. Mum was Melbourne. She's now actually changed to St Kilda. But um, they made a deal that uh, any daughters they had of her two older sisters would be Melbourne after Mum and any sons would be St Kilda after Dad. So... Dad passed away 20 years ago. Now he was only 64, um, passed away of a heart attack up on the Gold Coast on holidays with mum and uh, three other couples, their closest friends. And I never actually got to ask him, he, I, all the Evers come from Ballarat and my grandfather was the only one who came down to Melbourne during the war to try and enlist and was, was knocked back because he had a heart murmur. But he was a Footscray fan. And, and obviously, I mean, Ballarat's got a big, St Kilda link with the country zoning, but that wasn't the case back in the early uh, early 1940s. I never actually asked Dad or, or if he did tell me. I can't remember why he chose St Kilda. I mean, they eventually settled in, uh, in Bentley. But um, again, I mean, this is long before St Kilda moved from the Junction Oval to Moorabbin. So it wasn't as if it was, you know, um, the Saints were playing just five minutes down Jasper Road or Tucker Road. So, um, but yeah, I uh, have to thank him <laughs> for 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 being a saint. And um, even though I haven't seen a flag, I wouldn't change it for wouldn't change it for quids. I'm um, just getting back to your to your media role. You've seen a lot of changes. Like you started as a cadet in the print media, and since then there's been a lot of changes. And COVID has actually brought about another one this year with uh, broadcasters calling off screens. Um, firstly, how have you found that? And do you think that a lot of the, the media broadcasters now might use that going forward just to save some costs? Yeah, no, I, Lindsay, I think I think you're right. Um, the day, I mean, we uh, I'd have years there where you know I'd probably travel on minimum 35 weekends. I'd be away for a minimum 35 weekends of of the year when you combine footy, footy and cricket. But certainly in this uh, in the post. COVID era that we're you know, hopefully going to move into sooner rather than later. Um, I think broadcast media companies generally are, are hemorrhaging. The media has never been in a more parlous state, and that's just directly you know related to advertising dollars and, and people pulling their horns in, which is which is understandable. So um, look, it's been interesting. I wouldn't say it's certainly not as enjoyable as calling it the ground and, and the roar of the crowd. You know, filtering through your through your headphones, through the cans, and that it does. I mean, Tim Lane, who I get to call with every Friday night, who I still regard as the as the best sports commentator in Australia by quite some way. And uh, we've had a few chats about it off air, and as he said, it, it just it, it misses something. I mean, it's in, in the depths of winter. It was quite nice to just drive into the studio and. Um, you know, sit back in a nice warm studio and call it off off the telly, but it's not the same as being there in the in the moment and um, being caught up in the 
um, in the theatre of it all. It's been a it's been a little bit sanitised. It certainly hasn't been easy for the expert commentators either, because so much with the football, it's about um, you know you're really at the whim of the TV broadcasters as to we're just calling off the one screen. I'm led to believe our television colleagues in there. Uh, commentary setups they're, they're uh, you know looking at three or four different screens with down the ground footage and wider shots and that so we're just at the whim of whichever shots going to air we're getting it in high res and that but um, in terms of seeing what's happening ahead of the ball behind the ball um, all that sort of stuff it, it hasn't been easy but I can understand the financial reasons that we've been doing it do you think the nature of covering AFL football will change in terms of giving the at-home viewer, those wider angles, the, the forward of the ball, behind the ball, so you can get a better understanding of actually what's going on? Yeah, look, I, I think as as technology gets uh, gets smarter, you, you'll probably have more options years down the track with you know, multi-view and, and that type of stuff with people being able to choose the angle that they're, that they're you know, watching watching the game on. I think for the main though, there'll be it'll be just the traditional following following the play. We might head more and more uh, in coming years to I know in America there's a lot of um, club specific commentary. So if you want to, you know, say you're following the Boston Red Sox and you just want to hear the the bias Boston Red Sox call of your major league baseball game, you know, that there, there, there's opportunities for for that type of uh, that, that type of thing, but yeah, it, it's it's in such a um, uncertain state at the moment. How certainly the one thing is, and the major sporting organisations are probably got not so much their head in their hands, but be thinking what exactly their their TV and broadcast radio rights are going to be worth moving forward. I think the days of the you know just add a few zeros on the end, they're they're well and truly gone. As as we're currently seeing. The, the battle playing out between Cricket Australia and, and its TV broadcasters, Seven and uh, seven and Fox. You think we'll have uh, TV coverage of uh, this summer's uh, cricket? Yeah, well, it's, um, I, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, our, uh, it's not telling tales out of school, even our radio coverage is in danger of being either scaled back or stopped. I mean, 3 is now owned by... Channel Nine, we're part of part of the Nine stable. I mean, there's you know, obviously Channel Nine is in the television station. They also own uh, us, Two GB, Four BC, Six PR, plus the Age, Sydney Morning Herald. So it's a massive media company now. We're still waiting to hear what are we, you know, late September. I'm still completely in the dark as to whether there's four years of our current rights agreement still to go with Cricket Australia, and the next two summers being India and then the Ashes. Um, I've still got no idea as to whether we're actually even calling the cricket this summer, and, and you just wonder whether um, whether nine are, you know, whether they're sitting back. I'm sure they're sitting back, watching with interest how it's playing out between Channel Seven and and uh, and Cricket Australia, as we're talking some serious dollars and and basically the major, you know, sporting game of the summer in terms of taking out the two weeks of the Australian Open. I mean. Over summer, as we know, the, the main game in town is the is the Australian cricket team. Have they ever been big money spinners? The sport, or are they always the you know the lost leader the, that they talk about, where they generally overpay 
and then recoup the money advertising and through ratings, wins, etc., etc. Yeah, Nick, it's, it is more so the latter. Look, I'm no accountant and no um, financial expert, but you often hear that. I think back in the day, uh, Channel Nine used to lose up to you know twenty to thirty million a summer on on its cricket coverage, but the cachet that they had with it and the prestige and, and the spin-offs because it was just blanket coverage across the summer, how important it was for their news, how important it was for cross-promotion for all their shows, um, you know, for the for the remainder of the the year or the new year. Um, that's the way it was that's the way it was justified. And, and the fact that it was also quality content. Um, and just even if they weren't making the money on on it via the, the advertising revenue, just the eyeballs that were watching it, um, yeah, it was it was worth the worth the price. Now, of seven, look as if they've paid over the odds. Well, that's <laughs> even without knowing the pandemic was about to hit. That's still, I mean, the price that they um, that they paid the start of this six year deal, maybe caught up in the the heady days of the Commonwealth Games at the time and um, back in 2018. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a deal now that looks, um, well, if they do if they do keep stumping up the cash, that, that that's the other question. I mean, that's why it's either going to head to the courts or there's got to be a compromise somewhere. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the days of the, the big rights deals are, uh, are going to be scaled back somewhat. Might um, move away from your, your on-air sort of career and bring you back to Waverley Park Hawks just for a bit. Your son, son plays, well, he would have played under-15s this season. You said you travel a lot, 35 weekends of the, the year. Do you get to see him play much at all? Yeah, I, 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 I do. It hasn't been, I mean, there's been quite a few games I've missed, predominantly when it's been, um, when we've been calling interstate on a, uh, on a Saturday night. So you fly back. Obviously, when you call into interstate the Saturday night, there's no late flight um, out of whether you're in Adelaide or Sydney or, or, or Brisbane. Um, so they've been predominantly the games I've missed are also when St Kilda's played, say, a home game on the 110 slot on a Sunday and I'm hosting the president's function. Um, yeah, I haven't sort of turned up to the Hawks games in my, in my bag of fruit and... Slop through the mud and then <laughs> headed into Marvel. But look, over the years, I have been pretty lucky at, at the same the same time. Um, and a lot's depended on on the roster and how it chops and changes and whether three RW calls a triple header or on the Saturday or you know double header on the Sunday. They used to sometimes call three games on the Sunday. So yeah, I've I've probably got to see at least I don't know seventy five to eighty percent of his of his games, and it's. It's a, it's a, I'm not just saying this because of the point. It's a great community. It's been a, it's been a fantastic you know, number of years and the, and the group of kids that he's come through with as well. And probably until last year, they've enjoyed, you know, a hell of a lot of success without, without winning a flag, um, you know, been regular finals football and, and you know, great bunch of parents. And it's, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Oh, it's good to hear that it's a lot of fun. Now, your boy does play with uh, Mitch White. Um, they were in the same team. Yep. I'm just wondering how you managed to get him into your call of a Richmond game about uh, three or four years ago on a Saturday night. Did I? Okay. I wish I had the sound bite. It went something along the lines of um, picked up by Mitch White, uh, Matt White, 
uh, Mitch White plays for the Waverley Park Hawks on a Sunday. That's that's right. Obviously, so that was uh, that was when Matt was still what yeah Richmond before he went to Port. Okay, yeah, that does. Re- I'd forgotten that. So I called Matt White, Mitch White in a <laughs> in a call. Okay. So what do you think of Mitch White as a footballer? Yeah, no, I've I've, I've always loved Mitchie as a footballer. Uh, I remember when I was assistant coach one year, just just having a quiet chat to him about trying to change his kicking style a little bit, that unique kicking style of, of throwing it across the footer. He, he with his, it was like he should have been a right footer <laughs> with the way he was holding the ball. But um, uh, but God, dominant player for for so many years. I loved his competitiveness and. Uh, um, yeah, it got me giggling now. I, I'd actually forgotten about that that I that I called him in, uh, but that does that does ring a bell. Yeah, I, I reckon it's not the only time either. Not just with Mitch. I'm trying to think, trying to think who else that I did with. Uh, I did with one anyway. Hopefully, it comes to me before the end of the chat. Hopefully, you won't uh, throw to Lindsay or Nick in your next call. <laughs> I'm not sure we'll have made quite the impression that Mitch has. Um, how did you find your way to the Hawks? Yeah, um, we well, we we live in Roval, uh, but we decided well, not just decided we we're lucky enough to get Brady in and then his younger sister Jamie at, at Gells Park Primary. Um, when we went searching for primary schools for for the kids, we, we were wrapped with um, what we saw at Gells Park Primary, and even though we weren't in the immediate vicinity um, back in the well, a decade ago now, Brady's in. <laughs> Brady's in year nine. Um, yeah, we're lucky enough to get a get a spot for, for Brady there. And it just um, you know, as as the start of the junior footy journey came upon us, it became pretty apparent that all his mates were um, were going to the Hawks. I think there are a few that might have gone to the Rovers, but um, so we yeah, were more than uh, more than happy to come to the Hawks, and then obviously found out that. You know, the club colours and, <laughs> yeah. and the song and that, but you, you put your AFL allegiances aside, <laughs> found yourself, you know, singing along and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was it. All of his all of his mates at Gells Park Primary. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, the bond between them was, was fantastic. KB didn't put any pressure on you to get down to the Rovers with his uh, family? No, well, KB at the time, Lindsay, he, he was still at SEN and I'd long moved on. <laughs> I've long moved on from then, so um, uh, no, no, okay, no influence from uh, from Kev. That's good. The Hawks are grateful for that one. Move back to AFL for you quickly, Bruce. Um, even though the Hawks are clearly the priority uh, in this household, anyway, the Waverley Park Hawks, that is. But back to the AFL. You obviously have a lot to do with St Kilda matches behind the scenes, the presidents' lunches, and things like that. You said earlier. How do you actually find calling them? Another another great question, Nick. Uh, when I say I hate it, um, I certainly don't go uh, looking to to do it. But I understand with we haven't got a huge calling team at AW, and and sometimes you know it's all hands on deck, particularly the triple headers on a Saturday. So I understand that I have to call. I like to think your professionalism can take over or, or should take over, and I don't think the listeners. Um, you know, there's two sides out there, so um, you know they don't need to be hearing a, a, a biased call. And so I, I do. I'm, I'm certainly aware of it when I do have to call a St Kilda game. Um, and there's been times I've 
I've probably oh, probably let myself down a couple of times. Um, but yeah, in a perfect world, I, I don't call them. Um, I know Caroline Wilson's very big on, um, and, and everyone's conflicted in the in the footy world. We always we focus on Eddie a lot. You know, you look at Mark Rusciuto and Fox Footies and Adelaide Crows director. Um, yeah, I, I certainly don't. Uh, enjoy calling it although this year i've found because of the um because of the lockdown i probably preferred to call the st kilda games rather than sitting at home thumping the uh, thumping the couch although i don't think i'll be calling the um the final uh which is the saturday twilight game i think that'll be tim lane and tony leonard so overall um i mean i've had a couple of uh, you know internally uh, Famous or infamous moments. I, I called the game a couple of years ago in Adelaide when um, in the in the wet against Port and St Kilda uh, got ten points clear with only a minute. <laughs> He's got his head in his hands again. And the famous last thirty second play, Paddy Ryder, beautiful tap over his head. Robbie Gray, no one out the back guarding him, runs to fifty and and kicks it. So. Um, yeah, I threw a sausage roll out of the cold sausage roll out of the commentary box. <laughs> not about the front, so it didn't. Did you hit, hit me one? <laughs> no, we're not at the front. It was. I turned around. It was cold from from half time. Always good catering at half time at Adelaide Oval as well. All I say. I let myself down, gents. I let myself down. I turned around and uh, hurled it out of the the box. Um, the lady security guard wasn't overly impressed with me, and I did go. <laughs> I did go and clean it up when we got off when we got off air. That was probably the closest I've ever come to, I reckon, throwing up on air, actually, <laughs> watching that. And I did, years earlier, um, or, or actually, thankfully it didn't explode, I, I turned around and threw it. Threw a, and any of the kids listening, you should control your emotions. You shouldn't shouldn't be like this. It's got to be self-discipline. I can't believe I'm dobbing myself in, but um, I threw a bottle of coke uh, into the into the back door of the box up at uh, Metricon Stadium when Gary Ablett kicked a second unbelievable curling goal to sink the Saints in the opening round of about twenty. Well, it might have been twenty thirteen or something like that. Um, yeah. So, uh, but apart from that, no, I um, yeah, I only fell silent once. I reckon on air, and Tony Leonard picked it up for me. There was a secure to Collingwood game at the MCG and a. Uh, was it 2011? I think it was 2011. Um, Collingwood won by a goal, and in the last minute, um, Stephen Milne, who's a very good friend of mine, he um, he had a free kick paid against him for front-on contact when he affected a perfect spoil, spoil got ball only on um, Heredia Lumumba, and with the spoil, David Armitage had run onto the loose ball and kicked the goal to level the scores with less than a minute to go, and it came back and the free kick to Collingwood, and I threw, my, <laughs> I threw my headphones down after I'd thrown the call to tone and then I, I actually got a got a rocket from work after uh, uh, after that. Like nothing came across on air, but I virtually didn't involve myself in, in in much of the rest of the broadcast. So, yeah. It's a passionate game, gentlemen. It is a passionate game. Yeah, it is. And you must all... I've not... Of all the callers, it's not like you get into that position because you don't like the game. You're in that position, I would assume, because you've grown up absolutely loving it and you'd all be tragics about one club or another. So it's always been a funny discussion, the 
conflict of interests for the the people that are you know actually involved in a club that some of you mentioned earlier i mean you all must have the same feelings yep yep you're right and look i really admire um and i'm i'm very very that's why i that's why i probably i think it's probably my great strength as a caller and why i love you know 90 percent of the games i call or probably 95 percent of the games i call don't involve some kilda and when you're passionate about the game so much, I think that's one of the great strengths in McCalling. But I've had a chat. I mean, Tim Tim Lane, while he's a you know he's a big Carlton man, but he just I mean, the, the bulk of us do hide it very very well. I've had a number of conversations over the years with um, Sandy Roberts. I mean, not very few people knew Sandy Roberts was a big St Kilda supporter. I mean, that's just how good a good a caller that Sandy was that he could uh, that he could hide it. Um, yeah, it's um, I mean it's probably obvious to um, to a lot of people and more so these days where you're getting ex-players coming into the commentary box not just as experts but as play-by-play callers you know you Luke Darcy's and, and like Wayne Schwash who was a, a terrific caller but now stepped away from the media so of course when Luke when say Luke Darcy's calling a Bulldogs go I don't hear much of Luke because I'm usually calling at the same time but I wouldn't imagine he'd find you know calling a Bulldogs game uh, very easy either when you you know, spend a decade and a half spilling your blood for the for the club and being a captain, etc. I think that might be a, a good time to start wrapping it up. You're a St Kilda supporter, so please don't say St Kilda, but given the seven teams that are left, um, who do you think is the most likely to, to win the flag? Yeah, fascinating given that we're, are we sort of dismissing Brisbane and Port because we think that Richmond's got the Lions measure and, and Geelong... If Geelong repeat what they did to Port six or seven weeks ago, they'll they'll demolish them again in the qualifying final. So, plenty of people probably think that the sides that have finished third and fourth are the are the two to beat. Um, I mean, it is set up for the Lions. I mean, it could, it could be 2004 all over again, Brisbane Port uh, grand final. But the Lions, you know, I think they've barely had to leave Queensland. The grand finals on their home deck. Um, I guess supporters of non-Victorian clubs would be looking going, well, hang on, you know, how many times does an MCG tenant club get to play the grand final on their on their home ground? So, um, you know, it is hard to look outside. The, I, I, I think the Eagles will win their elimination final, but I don't think they'll go much further. So, I mean, the Premier is this year going to come from, from, from the top four. Um, Port haven't done anything wrong, but they're still... Uh, they're the first side since Essendon in 2000 to be on top of the ladder every round of the season. We know how you know, one side of the grand final was this year. It's a lot, uh, or that year. It's a lot closer comp now, of course. So, um, yeah, everyone I think is expecting uh, probably a Richmond John grand final, but I, I, I think one of the, I'm not sure which one at the moment, but I think one of Brisbane or Port will uh, will be there. I know it's, I am, very much sitting on the on the fence, but I just think there is so little between those those four sides. And even you look at that first qualifying final. I mean, Brisbane they just have to start kicking straight, particularly against Richmond. Their last two or three games against Richmond, their conversion has been it hasn't been that they haven't had enough opportunities. They they just haven't been able to hit the side of a barn. They should have been five goals in front of Richmond at quarter time of the qualifying final last year. Just dominated that first quarter and and. Uh, and couldn't hit the side of a barn. So that, that is how close it is. So we might actually get, we might have one of those re- re- repeat years, maybe a Brisbane-Richmond grand final, as in they'll play in week one and they will uh, could well meet again in, uh, 
in the big one. A little lesson for the kids at home there on how to influence people. When, you, when you're sitting on the fence and giving nothing, make sure you say that's what you're doing so that the people you're talking to can't fire. Come on, give us something at you when you're finished. Oh, but that's the thing. I've, I've nominated a Brisbane-Richmond grand final, and if it was Port Adelaide beach Geelong grand final, would we be sitting here and any of us being surprised? No, you just go, yeah, but that, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a race in six. Have you got us in that six? Or? I haven't I haven't eliminated the Bulldogs or the Saints. The, the, those six teams. I've eliminated Collingwood and the Eagles. Hang on, mate. I've eliminated Collingwood and the Eagles. <laughs> and I reckon the other six, if they play their best footy on the day, can beat anyone. So the worst the Bulldogs got on the run in sixteen. I think they could do it again. I'd hope the Saints could get on a, a similar run, but I'll be happy if we win one final. But um, I think Brisbane, that's, that's my opinion. Brisbane's been playing pretty good footy all year. And when, they've, when they haven't played that well, they've, they've won badly. And that's a sign of a really good team. And I think when it comes to the crunch, I reckon they're the team to beat. Sorry, Nick. Uh, look, I don't know how you've managed to just dismiss the black and white without including the black, white and red in the same category. But anyway. Yeah, it's interesting with, uh, I mean, we're still not, sure that Lynch is going to play week one, are we? And now there's now a noise. Well, Harris Andrews has said that he, he'll be right and that he'll be back. I mean, just the way that flips stuff around. If Lynch doesn't play and it goes back to, you know, revolt and a, and a bunch of mediums and smalls, which is basically the way they won 2017, wasn't it? But if Andrews comes back in and Lynch doesn't play, but once again, it just comes back down to conversion. I mean, we're seeing such low scoring footy and, you know, if you get you have 14 scores and you kick 10-4 or kick 6-8. I mean, that, that could be, you know, the difference between a win and a loss. We've seen it that often this year. Uh, well, thanks, Bruce. Um, it's been an interesting chat. Really enjoyed uh, going through your career and uh, how it started out as a cadet through to being a broadcaster now on 3AW. Hope it all goes well for your calling during the finals. And uh, thanks very much for being on Hawk Talk today. I really enjoyed it, fellas, and um, yeah, any time. And um, go the Hawks in 2021 and uh, go the Saints for the next four weeks. All right. Well, that was fantastic. A huge thanks to Bruce uh, for joining us there, or Beaver uh, for joining us. What an absolute fantastic insight into his life. And, and if there is any of our kids that uh, want to follow in his footpath, a great uh, bit of uh, information for them there. Uh, that is it for us this week. Just everyone keep an eye out on announcements to come soon. We'll give as much detail as we can, as quickly as we can, about the sports events uh, that'll be online. And we will also be making announcements about the coaches um, as they come to hand. So... That's it for us this week. Uh, We'll be in touch very soon. Go Hawks.